Teen Author Bootcamp presents The Next Best Seller, a podcast for aspiring teen authors. I'm your host, Maddie Bramble. I'm a 17-year-old marketing intern at TABC, and I'm currently on my journey to write a book, just like many of you. On The Next Best Seller, we will learn all about the craft of writing from published authors, from what an author's day might look like to the nitty-gritty process of editing, from character development to plotting your novel. We'll reveal all you need to know to become a best-selling author yourself. This week's guest is Kendara Blake. Kendara is the number one New York Times best-selling author of several novels, including Anna Dressed in Blood, Anti-Goddess, and Three Dark Crowns. Her latest release is All These Bodies, a standalone crime thriller set in the 1950s. She grew up in the small city of Cambridge, Minnesota, and is a graduate of Ithaca College and received a Master of Arts in Creative Writing from Middlesex University in London, England. She loves to travel, is an advocate for animals, and cheats a lot when she plays Final Fantasy. Adopted from South Korea at the age of seven months, she arrived with the following instruction, feed her chocolate. Though not medically advisable, she and her parents are eternally grateful for this advice. She lives and writes in Gig Harbor, Washington with her husband, their cat son, Tyrion Cadister, Red Doberman, dog son Obi Dog Kenobi, Roddy Mix dog daughter Agent Scully, and naked Sphinx cat son Armpit McGee. Hi Kendara, it's so exciting to have you on the podcast and I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you, it's nice to meet you too and I'm really excited to be on. So starting off this podcast, I'm just wondering what is one interesting fact most people don't know about you? Um... I don't know if it's interesting, but I'm, I'm really eco-conscious. Like I'm very into, um, all, like all of my cleaning products around my house are zero waste and eco-friendly. And I've just recently gotten into like eco-friendly fashion. Like I've been doing really deep dives into, you know, cotton made from uh, sustainable farming and, um, yeah, like all that renewable stuff. So I've kind of, that's like my new obsession every week is finding a new eco product to research and buy way too much of. Have you ever wondered how authors find time to write, even with busy schedules? When do they write? What helps them get in the mindset to write? I'm here with Kendara Blake to find out what a day in the life as an author looks like for her. So give us a brief overview of your upcoming book, All These Bodies, and what your readers can look forward to when they read it. Yeah, of course. So as I say in a super upbeat voice, but All These Bodies is actually a story about murder. Like it's, it's a pretty serious book. It's about two teenagers who get caught up in the mystery of this violent murder spree in the 1950s Midwest. Um, One of them is Marie Catherine Hale. She's a 15 year old girl found in the middle of a farmhouse where the entire family has been murdered. And Michael Jensen is the 17 year old son of the local sheriff. And he's an aspiring journalist and he is the only person that she will tell her story to. So readers can expect um, a very true crime feel. You know, if you like true crime and true crime podcasts, um, I think you'll dig it. Uh, it's got, you know, it's, it's set in the 1950s, so it's kind of got a very a small town, 1950s vibe. And hopefully they'll just, you know, I hope it's a page turner and that it's also kind of creepy. 
I'm wondering, how did you like get into horror and mystery? Because like my first thought when I write a book is like fantasy. So, mm, well, yeah, and and I think I'm probably more known for known for fantasy now because of the Three Dark Crown series, which was dark fantasy, but it was dark. So it's not like you know I'm coming out of nowhere. And my first novel, Anna Dressed in Blood, was horror. So I've always been really into horror movies and just scary stuff you know growing up I love I love slasher movies I love really smart horror I love the Babadook I love um, all the old Nightmare on Elm Streets are so much fun um uh what did I I really want to see that new one that's out from M. Night Shyamalan called Old where the people go to the beach and then they just start aging weirdly like that seems really fun to me so I've always been into that weird question yeah, it's a good thing. I I haven't done a ton of horror, but as soon as I like jumped into your book, I was like, where have I been my whole life? I've been like living under a rock. <laughs> no, actually, and I think this is a, like all these bodies would be a good place to start because I do have readers ask me like, is it really scary? Like, do I have to read it with the lights on? And I don't know. I don't think so. But some people... You, that's the great thing about horror and being scared is everybody's different. And some things that like terrify me, you'd be like, Kendara, that's stupid. (laughs) It's a bunny. It's not scary, but you never know, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, I felt like it was more just like, oh my goodness. Like, how is this even possible? And how is it going to play out? Kind of. Yeah, you know. the big question, the big question of the book is, is what really happened? And what do you believe? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm glad you're thinking about that as you're reading. It. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the trickiest part of writing all these bodies? I think it was the fact that I'd never really written a quote unquote murder before. So I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, I, I knew what happened with the case and I knew what happened with all these murders and what happened with every victim. But the decision in the writing is, you know, what details do I give? What clues do I lay? And when do I lay them to make them most interesting for the reader and to propel the story along? So I had a lot of, you know, like moments where I was like, should I say that now? Do I need to save that? Like, would it come out? And I just kind of had to let it go and let the story do what it was gonna do. Yeah. I definitely feel like with mysteries and I think horror is like foreshadowing. A lot of it's just very vague, you know, and you know, as the author, but the reader doesn't know. And you don't yeah, and, know. And as the reader, then we go back and we see all the clues that were so cleverly laid out. And that always impresses me about mysteries. And I was not at all convinced that I knew how to do that. So it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an intimidating um, experience. So what is one writing advice that you um, kind of ignored while writing your story? Um, You know, to be honest, when I'm writing, I ignore most writing advice and just try to do what the story wants. In my experience, every book wants to be written in slightly different way than the others. Um, It's a different tone. It's a different voice. You know, you're playing with different tenses, different time periods realistic versus fantasy. So I just kind of had to forget about writing all the other books and um, just let this story really be the boss. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I like that because I feel like I definitely am like, okay, I've gotten like 500 pieces of writing advice. Now I'm going to implicate it all. And (laughs) at some point you just got to be like, I'm just going to write. And whatever comes out, like I'm writing, right? Exactly, exactly. And some of the advice will apply to some of the stuff you work on and some of it won't. So you just kind of have to, you know, take in the advice and sit with it. And then it becomes a part of you. And then luckily you don't have to think about it again. It's just like you stuff, you know. Yeah. So who are two of the biggest authors that impacted your writing career? Caitlin R. Kiernan. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. I've never actually heard her pronounce her name. She is a writer of very weird fiction, very dark fiction. Uh, She's not exactly mainstream, but she is like multiple award winning. And I just think her work is amazing absolutely amazing from a craft standpoint and also just from an enjoyability standpoint and the thing that kills me about her is she hates writing she doesn't like it at all um she would much rather be a paleontologist that's what her training is that is what her academic field is but because of some issues that she's had she wasn't able to uh, be in the field and and do the work that she loved so She's like, well, I'll just write. And to be that good at it and not like love it, just, it drives me nuts because <laughs> she's so good. But yeah, so definitely her. And from like my youth, I guess I would have to say Stephen King. Mm-hmm. because He's just so prolific. And he's one of those writers that I grew up with. So that's bound to leave a mark. So what has been your favorite experience as an author? Hmm being an author. I mean, that's, that was the goal. And it is amazing being able to write for a living. Like that's, it doesn't even feel like that should be a thing. Um, It doesn't even feel like that should be possible. But the fact that I get to sit down at my desk every day and write stories, and that's what I do, like that is my job is pretty amazing. That's definitely the best thing. And the second best thing would be um, like talking with people like you and and readers and, you know, just being around so many bookish people because they are my favorite kind of people. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. I work at a library and it's kind of the best thing ever because I'm surrounded by bookworms all day. Yeah. I don't know what it is about bookworms, but maybe just that they're really curious. Just delightful. I really, every bookish person I've met, I'm just like, I really dig that person. Yeah. So if you could turn back time to talk to your younger self, what would you tell yourself then? And yeah. Uh, You know, my younger self was like a butt. (laughs) She would have to listen to me. So I don't even think it matters what I would tell her because she was so determined to do things her own way and to, um, you know, so we'd probably just get into a huge argument. And then it would be like a, one of those weird fights where you're like, who would win in a death match, old me or young me? And I don't know, like young me was spry and, and had a lot of energy, but I feel like I have a lot of rage and life experience. So it'd be a real toss up. So really, um, advice. I don't, I have no idea. And I want to give her like writing advice. But to be honest, um, sucking when you're young is important. 
I know a lot of young writers don't want to hear that, but you've got like all this raw talent, but you need to refine it. You need to find your own voice. You need to develop techniques and the process of that going through it all. I mean, I, I don't think you really necessarily want to fast track it. So I wouldn't want to give her any extra hints. I wouldn't want to make it easy on younger me. She can just do it. The way. <laughs> She's going to be stubborn. So might as well. <laughs> um, so in your own opinion, what is like the most important quality and how does it help you achieve your goals? Um, like my writing goals is perseverance because one of the most important skills I think that a writer has to learn is how to reach the end and that is so difficult it is so difficult I don't know how many writers that I've known who are brilliant and amazing and they write these incredible openings and then they just kind of peter off and I get so mad because I'm like you're telling me I'm never going to get to read this like I get to read this beautiful beginning and then I never get to find the end. So learning to finish and, and having that, you know, develop that skill of just find the ending, even if it's not the ending I want, even if it's not the ending that stays, I need to just reach an end that I can work on. So yeah, just the perseverance to keep going through every book until it's done. Yeah. I mean, I think that's half of the battle. So what is your favorite quote? And kind of how has that helped you through your writing career and through life? Um, I don't really have a favorite like writing quote. Um, I really like the quote from American Psycho by Brad Easton Ellis that is, says, I have to return some videotapes, which what he really means is, you know, I have to go murder people. Um, and <laughs> but that's not like useful in life, I hope. Um, also, I, I like the quote from Milan Kundera that happiness is a longing for repetition because um, a lot of writing is repetitive. You're in the seat every day. You're, you're just writing, 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 day after day after day, hour after hour. And if you find joy in that, well, then that's, that's it. Then you know you're, that's what you're meant to do. Yeah, I, I really like that. Because I feel like sometimes we define happiness as like this big end goal, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes it's just finding, finding that sweet spot in your life, right? Yeah. Happiness should really be ongoing. It, it shouldn't be this, you know, unattainable, you know, and maybe happiness, maybe he means just happiness is, is more akin to contentment. You know, people have mm -hmm. a hard time finding contentment sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we know All These Bodies is coming up. It's releasing September... 21st. 21st. I knew it was, I was going to say 27th, but 21st. But what's next on your writing journey? Well, I actually am releasing two books within six months of each other. My, um, I'm writing a new trilogy set in the universe of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for Disney Hyperion. And the first book is called In Every Generation, and that releases on January 4th. So... It's been a surprisingly busy year. I'm not the kind of writer who does more than one book per year. So this has been very, very difficult. I actually had to push back my next, I was supposed to have a fantasy come out next year and I had to push it back because whew, there was just too much and I was too slow, so. <laughs> writing takes time. 
Is editing your own stories ever proven difficult? Need some advice? It might be scary to kill your little darlings, but we're here to help giving you some tips and tricks to improve your writing from your own stories. This week's story is called Every Breath You Take. The author's name is Ray Lee, who is 14. The rain was pouring as the figure stood without an umbrella, looking down. He was wearing a purple sweatshirt with Go Tigers printed on it and a yellow and white tiger on the front. His sweatpants and the sweatshirt itself were soaked, but he couldn't make himself care even a little bit. A single rose and a miniature umbrella were in his hand. He closed his eyes and breathed in deeply, holding back his tears. He knew he was going to get a cold, but that was minor considering everything he had been through recently. He took a slow step forward, the sole of his red and black tennis shoe crushing the grass and sloshing around in the mud. The mud encased the shoe, submerging in the dark water and soft ground. The man went down on one knee, his knee crashing carelessly to the ground. His other knee soon followed. He leaned forward and placed the rose on top of the marble slab. It read, Here lies Dinah Emilia Washington who always wanted to help the kids that didn't have anyone else to help them. Devoted sister, daughter, girlfriend, and friend. Life is a funny thing, it happens, and you don't even know it. So pay attention and live it to the fullest. You can. You never know when it could take you away. That was awesome, Ray. Um, now right. I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Yeah. Okay, so what I really liked was uh, the description. Like she laid the full setting right out. I could instantly, see, you know, like the rain and the sweatshirt and the things he was holding in his hands and the knowledge that it was cold and he was going to get one, but what did it matter? Because he had something to do and it was very emotional and he was just going to do it. Um, I would have liked to know a little bit more about, and I know she might be saving this reveal for later, but I would have liked to know if not who he was in relation to her, like, is he her boyfriend? Is he the dad? Is he a brother? Because it, the headstone says she's a girlfriend. She's a sister. She's a, you know, is he a friend? I would have liked some, like one line that just indicated, maybe gave me a clue as to what, what he was. And maybe a little bit of something, if he's going to be like a main character, maybe just a little bit of something that tells me kind of a little bit of his voice. Like, not necessarily a line of dialogue, but is he, is he kind of a smart ass? Is he just super depressed? Is he really stoic about this thing? You know, so just a little bit of turn of phrase that could, could give me a hint. But yeah, that's a, that's a very strong opening. Yeah. I agree. I, again, I really like the description. That was what I was gonna say. Um, I definitely, when I edit a lot of stories, a lot of things I push for is less dialogue and more description. So I think this was really well done. Um, and I do think there could have been, I want to know how, I mean, we know he's sad because he's in tears, you know, and we know that this person means something to them, but I agree. I feel like I want to know more about him and why he's here. And maybe I know 
as you, as you talked about, maybe it's part of the reveal about what happened and all this stuff. But yeah, I want something to tie me back to the narrator. Yeah, just a little hint, just a very subtle clue, you know? Yeah, to really put yeah. me in his shoes, per se. Mm-hmm. To enter in your own work for a Kill Your Little Darling section of the podcast, check out at the next bestseller on Instagram. This podcast is sponsored by Teen Author Bootcamp. TABC is a nonprofit organization that brings best-selling authors and writing workshops to teen writers at affordable prices. For over a decade, TABC has held an annual writing conference for teens in the month of March in Provo, Utah, and is now available virtually. For more writing tips and tricks, go check out TABC on our website, teenauthorbootcamp.net or at teenauthorbootcamp on social media. Need advice that will better your craft? Well, here we go. Each week on the Next Bestseller podcast, we will focus on a specific element of writing to help you reach next level craft. But the only way to complete a story is to actually sit down and write. Sometimes finding the inspiration and motivation to drive your story forward is the hardest part. But Kendara is here to the rescue with great advice on how you can stick to it. Where do I or anyone else there as a teen writer start with my story? You know, that's well, I mean, obviously you have to start with the concept and sometimes you can just do it off of a right. Have you ever written off a writing prompt? Yes. Have you ever done writing prompt exercises? Do you enjoy those? I think they're fun. Yeah. Yeah, they are like it's it's like using your imagination but not as difficult as just like, okay, now I need to come up with an idea for a story because that's so broad. But if you give me a prompt, then sure, my imagination could come up with something that I want to work on. I just need a little bit of focus. So sometimes starting with, um, they have a lot of writing prompts just listed available online. And sometimes just by looking at one list and just picking one of those questions and sticking to it and then writing off, you know, off of that particular prompt can be a good way to start if you have absolutely no idea what it is that you want to write about. But personally, for me, inspiration usually just happens in really weird places. A conversation or a commercial I see on the TV or, you know, just a question that pops into my head. So, I mean, it, wherever it starts, as long as you have that itchy thing that you're like, I want to deal with this. That's, that's it. Yeah. So if you do have an idea, how do you like, what keeps you going and like staying motivated and staying inspired when you've had like probably an initial inspiration, but finding inspiration to stay creative and stay kind of like interesting and intrigued throughout your book? I make my ideas prove themselves. So I'm not one of those writers that has a million different ideas and I envy those writers, but I, I don't. I have, I have a good idea once every couple of years and I'm not exaggerating. Like I'll have other ideas, but they won't make it. They'll fall by the wayside. I'll think, oh, that might be cool. And then I'll shove it away. And if it comes back, they'll be like, there you are again. Huh? Yes, you are still interesting. And the books that end up getting written are the ones that don't leave me alone but I make them keep pestering me 
And basically I'm saying to my ideas, like prove to me that you're a book, prove to me that you're a story, that you're not just going to sit me in front of my computer and write five sentences and then go, well, that was that. So they really have to have time in my head to kind of be worked on and, and puzzled out before I'll even bother sitting down to write them. So, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to, like, I know I take two years because I'm super slow, but even if you can hold an idea in your head for a week and kind of just mess around with it mentally before you put anything to paper, it's a good way to have a good jump on things. How do you write when you have doubts and like, how do you get past those doubts? Well, deadlines help. (laughs) (laughs) But before I had deadlines, it was really just um, when you're writing a story, if you can make it to a certain point, I think the characters become very real to you and the story becomes very real to you. And you are at a point kind of beholden to them. Like eventually you love them, like they're real people and you can't just leave them in the middle of a something. I mean, you have to, you owe it to them to see it through and to figure out for yourself and for them exactly how it turns out, you know, and and what happens to them. So that sounds strange to think that you could be driven forward just by a feeling of obligation to these people you've created, but sometimes that works. (laughs) Yeah. It really does. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, my character will show up and be like, are you ever coming back to me? I'll be like, oh, I feel bad. Yes, I am. I'll be there in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So what other healthy habits get you in like the mindset to write besides just loving what you write? If, okay. So before I had deadlines and before I had like a certain time that I needed to have done, really seriously, the passion is what kept bringing me back to the chair. Maybe I would only write once a week, but when I did, I mean, that, that writing was very joyful and it was, um, you know, it was something that I really enjoyed, but now that I write for a job, I do have to have like set writing times. And if you're a kind of person who needs that kind of routine and discipline, well, it's as simple as that. It's really just finding a routine that works for you. So, you know, if, before you write, you always have to brew a certain kind of tea and have it there. Well, have it there because it's just kind of that like mental click, like, okay, you do it enough. And now once I have my tea, my brain clicks over and it's time to write. So it'll just kind of like set itself. The brain is funny that way. We can train it. So if you train your brain through the routine, eventually it'll get a little bit easier because it'll know what you're expecting of it right away. Yeah. Yeah. I do think the brain is very, is very powerful. I mean, we hear it all the time, like science, like your brain is the most powerful part of your body. And I'm like, no, it's one of those things you're like, "Uh uh-huh. But it really is. It really is. I wish we had better control over it sometimes, (laughs) but I guess that's part of its power. The fact that it can do things to us that we have no control over just shows us how strong it really is. Mm -hmm. I mean, do I wish my brain would stop sucking all my really good ideas into my subconscious sometimes? I think that would be really nice because I've come up with brilliant things. But you're going to like, that's also the best part of your brain is sometimes when you run into that problem, you know, in like a plot point, you're like, oh, how do I solve this? And then you just stop thinking about it completely and your subconscious does it for you. And that's pretty great. So how do you take those moments of inspiration 
that you like find or like your brain kind of comes out with and like kind of flesh it out into an entire book? Well, every book comes together differently. Um, Three Dark Crowns came together in an afternoon because uh, it was just a very specific set of circumstances. I, I was at a book event and I saw a swarm of bees and uh, I, I had a, there happened to be a beekeeper there and I asked her all these questions about bees because when you see a ball made of bees that's about the size of your head, naturally you wanna know more about it. Is it gonna kill me? You know, like what's going to happen here? So she told me that in the middle of the ball was the queen and they were just balled around her because they were looking for a new hive to live in. And then I asked about, you know, other things about queen bees and she said that, um, when it's time for a new queen, she'll lay like four or five baby queen eggs and they'll hatch out and they'll just murder the crap out of each other until one is left to take over the hive. And I thought, well, that's a book. And I want to do that with people. So on the drive home, I just puzzled through Three Dark Crowns and came up with the entire concept of three sisters, three queens born, they all have equal rights to the crown. And when they turn 16, they got to murder the crap out of each other to figure out who gets to take over. And it was the easiest thing. Like it, it came together so fast. I was instantly like, well, okay, this is, I know I have to write this one, but mm -hmm. other books come together in bits and pieces. All these bodies was so weird. It was, it's a fascination. It's inspired by two particular true crimes. Um, the murders of the Clutter family in Holcomb, Kansas in 1958, which if you've read Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, that's what that book is also about. And the Starkweather Fugate murder spree in 1959, where 19-year-old um, Charlie Starkweather and his 14-year-old girlfriend, Carolyn Fugate, went on a, a, just a tear through the Midwest and murdered like 10 adults and one baby. And um, that, like, I've always been interested in that story. And in particular, Carol Ann, this 14-year-old girl and how she got mixed up in all this stuff. And she's been in my head, you know, ever since I learned about those murders. But I could never, you know, it was never like, oh, I need to write about that. No, it was just something I found interesting. And then as the years went by, um, more pieces of the idea came through like, you know, like, what if true crime had a paranormal element? Okay, and then I'll throw that away. And then, you know, what if, you know, what if this body was found and there was no blood in it anywhere? And then, okay, I'll throw that behind me. And then eventually it all just kind of coalesces to be like, okay, what I think are separate pieces is actually all I'm thinking about is the same book. So once you put all of those seemingly random things together, then you've got a concept. But your brain, again, doing its brain thing, sometimes just has to do that on its own. So my best advice there is to just let it do it. You know, keep finding things that you're interested in and then just eventually it'll form a ball and then you'll be able to write about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think research is a huge part of writing. Like just researching what you're interested in and like, I think, as we said before, your brain comes back to things and it'll put pieces together that you did not foresee at all. Or just stuff you see on the news. Like the other day I saw an article about monks in Tibet who, when they achieve a certain kind of um, uh, meditation, sometimes they die. And if they die in that particular meditative state, their bodies don't rot for like three weeks 
which is ridiculous because human bodies rot in a couple of hours. Like the decay process starts within a couple of hours. And yet these monks who die in this, you know, heightened state can remain fresh for three weeks. And now I've been thinking about that for a long time. Is that ever going to be something? I doubt it, but I'm keeping it in my brain because you never know. Yeah. Well, if, if you come out with a book about monks, I'll know where that came from now. <laughs> or at least I probably won't use monks, but if you ever see me out there with a book about something that dies and doesn't rot, you know where it came from. <laughs> um, so what if you have like too many ideas? Because there have been so many times where I'm like, I have five different routes this book can go and I don't know which one to pick. Mm. Uh, yes, that's like a gladiator situation where they have to fight it out. But also if you're, if you're talking like you're in the middle of a book and you're like, a character has a choice to make or you can take the book in this direction or you can take a book in that direction. Like there are so many different ways that the same, the same story can be told. So yeah, I'm not gonna, like that's a hard decision to make but ultimately you just gotta make it which is not really helpful advice but it's the only one that's true. Like you just, have to decide what way you want to tell the story and what story you actually want it to be and then just go with it. But if you have it narrowed down to say two, you can always write a few chapters in either direction and see how it plays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you like include like, I think a lot of times when I'm writing and I have multiple options, like I come down to like what the real message of the story is, right? But how do you include like real life messages and and like real life aspects into your writing to make your story relatable when you're writing maybe a horror about a murder story or you're writing this crazy fantasy that has nothing realistic Hmm. well murder stories are actually pretty easy to make relatable because Murder is very relatable. We all understand what murder is as a human being. We all understand um, how, what it would be like to be murdered, like how terrifying and how terrible that would be. And, you know, we've spent enough time in like murderers' heads because of, you know, pop culture and all the movies and everything that we understand that, you know, just on, a, on an animal level. Um, so, I think it has to do a lot with your characterization. If you want to make things grounded in reality, well, your characters just have to be real people to you. Um, if you're creating a fantastic world, that world can be as fantastic as you want, as long as it still has rules that it follows. It can't just, it doesn't have to have the same rules as our world, but it does have to have its own rules and it has to abide by them. You know, once you break too many rules of logic, that's when the reader starts to be like, wait, no, didn't you just say they couldn't and now they can, you know? So, so uh, just keep your own rules in mind, I think. And if you're looking for ways to make your characters more human, a nice writing, a nice writing and a kind of a weird writing exercise is to write a chapter about people you know, you know? Write a chapter about your best friend or a teacher that you, you know, and just, you know, maybe don't tell them about it because that might be creepy, but there, there are people around you and you know more about them than you realize before you put it to paper. And 
in writing a very in-depth like profile or just a moment with these people, then it gives you a good idea of how to characterize your fictional people. Like, oh, this is something that I can mention to make them seem more real and three-dimensional and human and give them a backstory, like that kind of stuff. In the beginning, I used to borrow a lot of just little weird tidbits about people I knew to make characters be real and three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, how do you take ideas from like other people in your life? And like, I think also other authors and other books and stories while also staying true to the story you want to tell. Whenever I'm reading, hopefully I'm just reading for fun. But within that, I'm also reading with a writer's eye. So there will always be moments in the writing where I look down and I think, ha I see what you did there. Like that is super clever. And I'll, I'll just take a moment to appreciate what the writer has done with this line or with this moment. Or, you know, I'll pay attention if I have a particular, if I'm having a particular problem in some writing of my own, I might like notice like, ah, I can't figure out how to handle the passage of time in this book that I'm working on. And then if I'm reading something, I'll make a special note of how this book handles the passage of time to see if it can solve my problem. What advice would you give for, I think, taking advice as well as what advice you should take? Advice, it varies. I hate giving advice. I really do. Unless I'm in a one-on-one situation where we can really talk out the problem. I hate giving general advice because all that's in my head is like, this is so wrong for at least half of you. Like at least half of you will think this advice is terrible and stupid. But you know, so when you hear advice, just know that it's going to work really well for some people and it might not apply to you at all. So you've got to take it in and you've got to get that perspective, but you don't have to take it. And that comes the same way with feedback, like feedback and notes on your work. Sometimes the notes that you get on your work, you can be like, what the heck? No. And if that's your real feeling, you don't have to take that feedback, you know? So it's a very take it and leave it kind of situation. Take what works for you, leave behind what doesn't. How do you reimagine your story after you have gotten feedback and you have gotten advice and like re-looked over your story after your first draft and you're now going to start on a second draft? Okay, well, for me, let's see. I only get feedback from my editor. And at this point, my editor and I have worked together on four books. So I, we really get each other and I, I really trust her. Um, having a good editorial relationship is because your, your knee-jerk reaction is to be like, they don't get it. What, what, how, how can they think it's this way when clearly it is the other way that I wrote? And you just have to take a moment, sometimes a couple of days, and sit with what they're saying. And then after your emotions kind of cool off a little bit, you can look at your story more objectively and think, okay, I don't, even if you don't think they got it right, you can ask yourself, like, why are they perceiving it that way? What about my story has led them in this direction? And does that need to be addressed? Like, It's all about remembering in your feedback, well, remembering that the notes that you get from your editor are, you both have the same goal in mind and that's to make it the best story that it can possibly be. So 
it just takes practice. Accepting and, and reworking things, it really does just take practice. I think at first it's harder. Um, and the more personal the story is, it can be harder still. Um, but it is something that every writer has to do. So yeah, that's another skill that just takes time to develop. What is the easiest genre to write for you? Oh, no. Um, they're all hard. I'm not going to lie. Every book, um, every book seems easy after it's over. But I have a journal. And I so when I flip back through the journal, I know that no, it was not easy. Uh, yes, I wanted to die during every single book. There was a point that I wanted to die. So I don't know. You know, fantasy, they say, is easy because you can make stuff up. And I don't have to worry in fantasy if I have a setting completely correctly. So I don't have to worry if I've got like the Dunkin' Donuts on the right street in the right neighborhood of Philadelphia and somebody will call me out on it. But at the same time, fantasy is hard because you have to make all those Dunkin' Donuts up. The horror elements for me are always pretty easy to write, I think. So just any horror scene that you see in any of my books, just know I was having a ripping good time when that was going on. Well, what can teens do now to start a potential writing career? Well, I mean, it's, it's the writing. I hate to go back to that, but it is writing and learning to finish. If you want to be a professional writer and you want to have something published, you can't just publish a collection of beginnings. Even Stephen King, who we would read, you know, his grocery list or whatever, he would have a hard time publishing just unfinished starts of stories. Um, I'll, well, whatever, I'd probably read those too. But you have to get to that place first. So the first story that you sell, I mean, you have to find the end. And I have, I've talked to so many young writers who just have such a difficult time reaching their ending. So finish your story. Finish it. If it's a poem, finish the poem. If it's a song, finish the song. Short story, finish it. Once you get used to finishing, it's another brain trick. You will be able to finish longer and longer things. So until you get it on a page, there's nothing to work with. And you just have to, if you're going to approach anybody to publish something, it has to be a complete thing. Yeah. Well, what advantages do teen writers have over adults? Passion and drive are in no short supply when you're young. Like you've got all of these ideas and you're going to have revolutionary thoughts, like thoughts that can change the world. And we depend on you to bring those thoughts to us because we're too flipping old now and we're tired and we had those ideas and we, we can't have them anymore. So, um, just the, the energy and the fresh set of eyes that any artist can bring to a project is great, but there's something special about your eyes when you're young. I really do think that when you're young, the way that you look at the world is special. And it's a way that you're not going to look at the world ever again. So I want you to write it down so that I can see it, you know, through your eyes. Yeah. Not to yeah. sound funky or anything, but I, I do. I think that's really important. And then lastly, where can people can find you? Um, mostly on Instagram these days. I'm still on Twitter. Like if you ask me a question on Twitter at Kendara Blake, I will answer you. But 
Um, for as far as posting and stuff, I do most of my interactions on Instagram. Also at Kendara Blake. I have a contact form on my website. If anybody has kind of longer writing questions that they can't fit into a tweet or, you know, they just feel weird asking on Instagram, feel free to go to my website, kendarablake.com and just ask it in the contact form there. And I will get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, yeah. Are your favorite authors pantsers or plotters? Or a mix of both? A planter? Here comes our lightning round. Let's get to know our favorite authors with fun and possibly silly lightning round questions. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I was a pantser. I've moved more towards plotting recently. So a planter is what I'm hearing. I'm a planter. Although with my fantasies, I tend to be more of a pantser. What is your guilty pleasure read? The guilty pleasure read picture books. I still read picture books. <laughs> Maybe you think it's silly, but I have like a list of picture books on my phone right now that I'm going to buy for myself and then not give away to children. I'm going to keep them. <laughs> Some of those picture books, they're, they're really good. They're amazing. God, I love picture books so much. <laughs> Why do you write and what keeps you going? I write because I have to. If I don't write for like more than say three weeks, I start to get very, very cranky. I think <laughs> writers are writers in our bones. We just have to do it. Uh -huh. What is or was the worst part of the COVID pandemic for you? Okay, I'm assuming that you mean not the horrible death and loss of life. Uh, so I'm gonna go with like a, a personal stupid answer and say, I miss restaurants very much. I really miss them. I love menus. I love ordering. I love weird cocktails that I can't make for myself. So that was, that was hard. That's like my first world gripe. I miss movie theaters. Like, oh God. Yeah. I yep. miss, yeah. And like yeah. going to the movie theater for like the first time in a while, because in Utah, we've kind of gotten the low end. It was like magical. I haven't gone back yet and I'm really looking forward to it. But yeah, I mean, it's having these kind of superficial misses. It doesn't mean we weren't, I mean, obviously we're all really traumatized about everything else that was happening, but just, those are like my personal things. Yeah. So yeah. movie theaters for you, restaurants for me, definitely. So glad to have them back. Hopefully they'll stay open. Oh my gosh. Well, if you could meet up with any book character for lunch, who would it be and why? Oh, geez. Now this, this is something that I should have thought of in advance because that's such a fun question. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Yes, I'm sticking with it. Um, I'm thinking mostly of Hannibal from the TV show because he cooked really weird and exotic food. And sure, some of it was made out of people, but let's not split hairs. It would still be a very interesting lunch. Yeah, that would be a very memorable lunch. I think you'd remember it for the rest of your life. Yeah, and however long that would be, because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't make it out of it alive. What is the best thing about being a writer? Uh, the best thing about being a writer is the writing. I still love the writing. I will never stop loving the writing and telling the stories. It's amazing, mm -hmm. and I'm very lucky. Yeah. Well, if you weren't a writer, what would you be? Oh gosh, miserable. But honestly, like if I <laughs> had to choose a career, I always thought like maybe I would be like a dermatologist 
because you're like a doctor, right? But you're yep. not the kind of doctor that would very often have to tell people that they were dying. You'd be the doctor that's like, let me pop that zit for you. And I could totally be that doctor. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Like I'd want, I'd want it to be one of those, you know, billboards that are not old school and have to be like painted on every month. I'd want it to be like digital. Oh, well, unless that's not very energy efficient. But yeah, I just want it to be digital so I could put up like a book recommendation a week, you know, for like people driving, like get this audio book. Doesn't this traffic suck? Don't you want that? Like that would be fun if I could, you know, just like program that in every day. What is your favorite song to get you out of a writing funk? I do not write to music. Oh. I don't. I, I, when I write to music, I just stop writing and just like jam out for 15 minutes. And then I realize nothing's getting done. So I write to the food network. I find the sound of people telling me how to cook very soothing just to have in the like as ambient noise. And then if I need to take a break, I can just turn to the TV, watch someone make an enchilada. It only takes about 10 minutes and I don't get sucked into a show and then I can just come right back. That's actually genius. I've never heard of that. But now that I think of that, that might be one of the most brilliant ideas I've ever heard. It's just soothing. I really like like people making cakes and frosting things and just it's you, yeah. You just yeah. can't watch Gordon Ramsay, I feel like. No, no. None of those intense kitchen competitions where people are yelling. For one, I do get sucked into those. What is your ideal writing time? I don't even remember what my natural writing time is because I've had to adjust my writing schedule to my pet's naps. So, mm-hmm. my pet's nap in the morning. So I now write in the morning. Oh, and it's quiet. Yeah, well, and I have really needy cats. So it's hard to write from underneath them when they're crawling all over me. So as soon as they wake up, I'm like, this day is shot. (laughs) First days are when he wakes up early. Like, oh my God, I really needed to finish this chapter. And now I can't. (laughs) What is your idea of the perfect date? Don't you want to just give that answer from... Miss Congeniality, April 14th. <laughs> too hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> perfect date. Well, for me, it's got to be a killer restaurant, you know? Mm-hmm. Killer restaurant, good conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what is the, what is the killer restaurant? Oh, you know what I love when it comes, and this would be like a special date, right? I love tapas, like small plates. Because when I'm in a new restaurant and I see their menu and I want to try like 25 things, well, I can't possibly eat that much or afford that much. But when you go to a tapas restaurant and it's just like tiny little shareable bites of things, I can order the entire menu and not feel bad about it. So would you rather vacation to a tropical location or a snowy location? Oh, my gosh, those are my two least favorite things. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, so it was like snowy for six months. So I will say tropical. Yeah, but so if you don't like tropical or snowy, where is, where do you vacation? Oh, give me a gloomy European city any day of the week. (laughs) Old architecture and grumpy people. If you could have written any book ever written, which book would you write? That's so hard. There are so many books that I admire. Interview with the Vampire. 
I think it just really spun something new on a genre that barely existed at the time. Yeah. I think it was written in like the 70s or something ridiculous like that. And it kind of just brought, you know, something totally new to vampires. Hmm. And it was, and her writing is very lovely. To this day, I will still read Anne Rice because I, I really do like, her writing is like a, a full bite of food. Like it's very rich. I love hmm. it. Why do you think teens should join TABC? Teens who want to be writers should definitely. I mean, for one thing, it's a great opportunity to immerse yourself in books and writing. So, and, and that's, on, that's the best way to make really fast progress on your craft is immersion, just sheer focus on nothing but writing, talking about nothing but writing, doing nothing but writing for, you know, a solid chunk of time. Yeah. And then what is your hope for the future generation of authors? I'm just excited to see it. As a lover of books, I just, um, every, every year, you know, people debut, have their first novels come out. And I try to read as many debuts as I can because it's, it's just very exciting to see somebody new coming into the world of writing. And, and like sometimes you get really excited about their voice and about the things that they have to bring to the table. So that is my hope is that, is that enough people keep reading and buying books and writing books that books never go away. I have like, that would be my hugest fear for the future is that we someday a world exists where books are not actively being, you know, read anymore. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it sounds like one of those futuristic books where it's like, and they disappeared off the face of the planet. Like That would be the worst dystopia is, is, you know, the worlds where nobody reads and nobody has books. It's just, ugh. That would be the real horror story for readers would be a world without books. There you go. Writing idea. Make all the readers fear for their future. (laughs) And all the writers write because they don't want that to happen. Exactly. That's that's what you're writing towards, young writers, is more books. We need more books for everyone. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. That's the last I have for you. Um, It's been so fun talking to you. And I can't wait to see what I, I can't wait to finish the book and find out what the ending is because it's already killing me that I don't know oh, I can't wait to read more of your stuff and oh, yeah thank you all right thanks for having me on thanks for joining us on today's episode of the next bestseller find out more information about TABC at teen author bootcamp on social media and at teenauthorbootcamp.net as well as follow at the next bestseller on instagram to keep a lookout for more episode releases You can find out more about our events and sign up to have your work critiqued on a future podcast. Make sure to tune in next time for more writing tips and tricks and to learn more about your favorite authors. Here's to one of us writing the next bestseller. Happy writing!